Okay, here we go. Would you rather? Yeah, right. You, you would not. Uh, would you rather be forced to dance every time you hear music? Oh. Or be forced to sing along to any song you hear? Decide that for yourself and show it with your neighbor. Would you rather be forced to dance every time you hear music or be forced to sing every time you hear a song? How many, uh, how many dancers do we have? Dancers? How many singers? More singers, more singers and dancers. I can, I, I honestly, some of you in the church know this because you've tried to take me dancing. Uh, I, I have a fear of dancing. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating, I'm not kidding, I'm not being silly about this. Like one of my greatest fears is other humans watching me dance. <laughs> you don't wanna see it, I don't want you to see it. Like, my wife struggles, she gets one slow dance at a wedding, like that's what we get, there's like one a year, that's, what, that's all she gets, and uh, it's caused strife in our relationship, um, but I really do have a fear of dancing. Uh, we're, we're working through this book, Love Over Fear, by Dan White Jr. There's more of these available at the Welcome Center, I think we have a few more if you want to pick one up after the service, I think they're pretty cheap. Uh, to grab one, but we've been working through this as a church, kind of going through an all-church journey as our house churches are discussing this every single week, and we've been talking about what does it look like for us to actually face our monsters, what does it actually look like for us to be enemy lovers, and what does it look like for us to step out of the polarized world that we're in where we're fighting and screaming at each other, but never actually moving towards one another in affection and love. And so I actually believe that we're in this cultural moment. I believe we're in this moment where the church has an opportunity to model for the world what healthy dialogue looks like, where the church has an opportunity to model for the world what unity looks like, what disagreement among people who love each other looks like. I, I think the church is in this amazing position to look at these things. So Dan came a couple weeks ago and kind of introduced us to this book, told us some amazing stories and talked through some great things. It really is an amazing book if you haven't picked it up. Uh, and then last week we talked about getting beneath the surface, that one of the challenges that we face when we talk about our fears is that our fears are often unnamed, um, our fears are often unnoticed, and so we have to learn to actually pay attention to our lives and recognize our fears and pay attention to them. So we, we, we notice them, we name them, and then we surrender them to the Father, but we can't notice them if we're constantly distracted. We can't name them if we're not actually willing to repent, if we're not actually willing to look at our lives and look at the bad news that's going on in our lives. And we certainly can't surrender them if we don't ever name them. And so we go through this journey of paying attention to our lives, paying attention to moments where you experience some level of fear. So I don't know about you guys, but after coming out of those last two weeks, this week I was kind of noticing things in myself. Anybody with me? I was noticing some moments where I felt some fear, some trepidation, or where I kind of was writing a story about somebody without actually knowing them. Anybody else experiencing that? 
Just me. Okay, okay. We got Harden was. Thank you, Harden. All right. I, I was experiencing that this week. So uh, this week, Tyler and I went out to Portland, and we're, we're working at an event. Um, and at this event, you, you kind of never know what you're getting into when someone asks you to come and speak. Uh, and so someone invited me to speak, and Tyler came with me, and we were just hanging out. And you just never know... Like, you don't know who you're speaking to, and you don't know who's going to be there, and you don't know what their age is going to be, or you don't know what's going on. This happened to be a, a fairly seasoned group of leaders. Like, I don't want to say that they were old, but every single one of them was really close to death, right? Like, <laughs> I, gotta, there, I have never preached to a room full of more walkers and electric wheelchairs than, like, it was like there was a traffic jam getting in because of the, like the ramp and there was like 14 wheelchairs riding up the ramp. Um, and and they, they, they started off the worship and the worship was like straight up. I mean, I felt like I went back in time. I, like, I, I don't know what worship was like in the 1940s. I imagine I experienced a lot of it this week. It was, I mean, it was a bunch of hymns and I'm sure they were, amazing, but I've never heard any of them. I, I've been in the church all my life, right? I am 40, I'll turn 45 this year, and I have never heard any of the songs. That, like, they were way before my 45 years. So we're singing songs that are probably 100 years old. Um, there was a lot of choruses about some kind of rapture and those kinds of things that was going on. Everybody was really fired up about the rapture. There was a lot of singing about rapture. Uh, and, and, there, and immediately what I started to do in my head was I started to play to my fears. I started to name what was going on in the room. I started to tell myself stories about the people that I was preaching to. I started to judge what was going on in the room. They actually sang a song. They sang one chorus. And the one chorus, there was a, there was a phrase in it. And it, the phrase is, I ran out of that grave. You guys know that song? Uh, it was, I, and I just started, like in my mind, I was thinking, you aren't running anywhere. Like I, I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to change. But let's be honest, even if he does raise you, you're going to walk out of that grave. Like you're going to, like it's, there's not going to be a lot of running. So I was making all of these judgments and all of these kinds of things in my mind about how I wasn't going to connect. I was thinking through every joke I was about to tell and erasing all of them from my, from, from what I was about to teach. Um, and as I was sitting there, there was this little old man sitting beside me and we were singing some hymn that I've never heard of. And I looked over and this man's got tears rolling down his face and both hands raised in the air singing something that mattered to him and God. And God kind of said to me, hey, jerk. <laughs> he didn't really say it that way. He's nicer than that to me. But he kind of said, hey, I'm really pleased with this. Like, this is really good to me. These people genuinely love me. And they're your brothers and sisters in Christ. So why don't you stop telling stories about how bad this is or how you would do it better? And why don't you just love them and teach them? And I'm, can I tell you, like, I really like some 100-year-old hymns now. Like, I, I, I really got into this moment. There was this moment in the service where um, they prayed for healing. Uh, and, like, people just started coming forward. There was a lot of needs, I think. But people just started coming forward from all over the place. And there was this beautiful moment where, like, families were just praying together up front in front of the church 
Like a little girl came to the altar and then her mom came and then her grandma came and they're hugging each other and loving each other and, and praying for one another and there's all these little groups of different churches that are coming to pray and I just thought, like the Lord was just like, these are my people and they are your people too. I think it's really easy for us to give in to our fear and start telling stories about what's going on. I think it's really easy for us to give in to our fear and start making up assumptions about the people that we're dealing with every single day. And so what we want to talk about as we talk about love over fear is moving away from attacking those around us or avoiding those around us and moving towards affection. We're going to spend a lot of time on this next week. But today, here's what I want to do. I want to just lay out for us, here's some things that scripture says about fear and here's some things that scripture says about love. Is that all right if we do that? And I just want to name some things that fear does to us according to scripture and some things that love does to us according to scripture because I, 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 I might be crazy, but I think love is better. I'm, 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 a, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of God's love. So here's the first thing. First thing is fear causes us to second guess God and our calling. It causes us to second guess God and our calling. Uh, around 15 years ago, my wife and I moved our family to the inner city of Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, we, we moved to the third poorest zip code in the United States. We had been leading at a big church and decided we were going to start kind of a house church movement uh, in the inner city. And so we moved our family and we moved into the neighborhood. We felt very clearly that God was calling us to this. We were right next to the university. We were serving on the college campus. We were working with the urban poor. Um, but immediately when we moved into the neighborhood, there were all kinds of challenges going on. Um, we realized we bought a nice old Victorian home that was my, like my wife's dream home. It was actually just a money pit. Um, it was just, we just kept putting money into it and none of that money came back when we sold it. Um, but it was this big, beautiful home down in the middle of this town called Old Louisville. Um, and we didn't realize when we moved in that two houses down was a brothel. And so we would randomly have people knocking on the wrong door uh, which was an interesting conversation every time, especially for my wife. Uh, we, we would randomly, they're like, there were all these people coming in and out of the house, and, and it was just this kind of like, oh boy, I just moved my six and eight-year-old into a home right next door to a brothel. I'm not sure this is what we anticipated. Uh, there's a bunch of homeless folks in that community, and um, for some reason, there was one particular homeless man, I won't tell you his name, but I know his name, who liked to pee in my backyard, uh, just often. Uh, he would just walk into our backyard. It didn't matter if the kids were out playing on the swing set. He would just walk in and go in the corner. He found a little corner of our yard. It's kind of like a dog, I guess, and just liked that spot and just kept going back to that spot. And I had to realize, like, how do I deal with this guy? And tried to get to know him and say, hey, man. You can knock on our door, we'll let you in. You can use the bathroom inside. Like, there's, there's other ways we can handle this. Uh, there was um, one night I'm sitting in our downstairs, and uh, we had college students that lived on the third floor. It was a big Victorian house, and on the third floor, we had college students who we were discipling that lived with us and, and hung out with us. And I get a call from one of them, and she said, hey, some guy just walked into my door. And I was, okay. Uh, and so I walk out onto our deck, and I 
watch as a man punches through our glass window uh, and hear the, sh- the, the glass break. And I say, hey, man, what are you doing? And he was like, oh, I'm just really cold. And I said, well, it looks like you're trying to break into my house. <laughs> um, you know, we can get you a blanket. We can, we can come in and we'll get you some hot chocolate or something. But like the break in the window probably wasn't necessary uh, and started having a conversation. Um, they found a dead body in our alley, um, which was a fun morning for us. Um, we didn't actually find it, but some neighbors did. Uh, and, and so here's what happened. And I think this is what happens to all of us when we follow where God leads. All of these things started happening, and immediately my fear started to become more important than God's love. And instantly I started to say, hey, when are we moving? Because this is hard, and this isn't what we signed up for, and I didn't go to Bible college where I did the, like, how to hang out with folks at a brothel uh, class. They didn't offer that at my seminary. Like, they, that, wasn't, that wasn't a part of my class course. Like, I didn't, I didn't experience any training in any of these things. And so, immediately, Sarah and I, we started to doubt our calling. And we started to say, well, maybe we're not called to this. If this is hard, if this is difficult, if this is this challenging, if we feel so far out of our comfort zone, like, we've put our kids at risk here. Our kids went from the best schools in the city to the worst schools in the city. Like, maybe this isn't where God has called us to go. And so we started praying, and instantly as we started praying, the Lord was like, my calling has not changed. It's just that your fears have risen. If we pay attention to our fears and not our calling, we will always lose track of God's trustworthiness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his protection, his provision. And we'll begin to trust in our fears before we trust in him. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 says this. It says, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Which means that sometimes our calling is going to push us into our fears. One of the reasons why I think we're not experiencing revival in the United States right now, one of the reasons why our faith is kind of just going through this season of complacency is because we've stopped stepping into anything that makes us afraid. The church has become an organization that plays it safe. We've become a people who play it safe. Live a life worthy of your calling. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, and make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That's a verse for every one of you to remember before you post on social media. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Over and over and over again, fear speaks to us. And there's something primal and instinctive about fear. There's something about fear that, that, that teaches us, it limits us, it, it makes us stop, it makes us slow down. And some of that is a good fear. Like when we're teaching a child not to touch an oven, that's a good fear. We want to teach them that. But there's other fear that stops us and limits us from stepping into the places that God has called us to. We have to be able to discern that God is our protector, that God is our provider, that he is the one who pushes us out, and oftentimes our fear is just sin disguised as wisdom. Second thing that fear does is it roots itself in scarcity. Fear roots itself in scarcity. Fear always tells us there's not enough. 
It always teaches us that there's not enough. It always teaches us that someone else is going to grab what belongs to me. And so it actually pits us against ourselves. It put, makes everyone around us adversaries to grab the scarce resources that are available to us. So it makes the person who's in your office and is competing with you for the job, they're your enemy instantly because there's a limited amount of resources. And if you don't get that promotion, then I don't know what happens. Maybe you don't pay the mortgage that month. Maybe your kid can't go to the college that they want to go to. Maybe uh, you can't buy the boat you wanted to buy. Like, I, don't, I don't know what that means, but it pits us against ourselves. The, the, the story of scripture is rooted in abundance. From the very beginning of creation, God created and it was good and there was enough. And ever since then, we have been believing that there's not enough, and God has continued to say, there is enough. There's enough in me. There's enough resources in the world. I am your provider. I am your protector. I will take care of you. He sent manna from heaven when the people were in the wilderness. He sent water from the rock. He sent the sun to guide them through the day, a pillar of fire to guide them over and over and over and over again all throughout the story of Scripture. If you were just to take time today and go home and just read the whole narrative of Scripture and only read it through the lens of of abundance and scarcity, you would see that God is continually reminding us that there is abundance and we are continually believing in the myth of scarcity. We are continually believing that there's not enough. Jesus taught on this over and over and over again. There is more in you and there is more in the Father than you could ever hope for or imagine. There is abundantly more in him than you would understand or believe. In Matthew chapter 14, Jesus has been teaching on a hill and all this huge crowd has gathered. And as the evening approaches, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's getting late, so send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Everybody had traveled long distances to hear Jesus preach. Everybody was getting hungry. It was getting towards the end of the day. They were actually showing compassion, which Jesus had taught them to do, by saying, hey, Jesus, like, you've been going a while now, bud. Like, let's, why don't we take a break, send everybody away for dinner, and then we'll reconvene at some point. And Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. And I love this. You give them something to eat. The disciples are sitting there like, you know, I don't, I don't have like a Jimmy John's gift card in my back pocket right now. There is like, there is, I have nothing to give. This is the myth of scarcity. It's that I have nothing to give. It's that I have nothing to offer. It's that when I step out into my fears, there's not enough in me, and so I can't respond the right way. Fear tells us, you don't know enough of the Bible, so you can't talk to your neighbors about Scripture. Fear tells us, you're not good enough because you failed back here at this time, and because you failed back here, you're not good enough to step into this mission and do the things that I've called you to. Fear is always telling us there's not enough in us and there's not enough in God, and Jesus is always telling us, you feed them. I love this passage. We have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. So he said, bring them here to me. This is what Jesus says. I don't care what you have. I don't care if you've got the greatest talent in the world, or I don't care if you're afraid of dancing. Whatever it is, bring it to me. 
bring it to me. Whatever skill you have, whatever talent you have, whatever I have given you, whatever the Father has laid into your life, bring it to me and I will multiply it. He directed the people to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up in heaven, very sacramental, right? It's like communion. He broke the bread. He broke the loaves. He gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and they all were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. I love the image of broken pieces that are left over. That's what he does. He takes our broken pieces. He takes our brokenness. He takes our woundedness. He takes all the stuff that's happened in our life. Nothing is wasted in the kingdom of heaven. He takes it all and he multiplies all of it abundantly. What fear does is it teaches us that there's not enough. Fear always speaks out that there's not enough. And can we just name where fear comes from? The enemy who comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. The serpent who lies in the garden and says, God's holding out on you. There's more, and you're not getting it. There is this constant lie that is coming from the accuser that tells us we're not enough. And the voice of the advocate, which is Jesus, says, bring whatever you have to me. Bring whatever you have to me, and I'll multiply it, and I'll make it grow. Fear will constantly say, I'm not enough. I want you to pay attention this week to when you believe that there's scarcity, I want you to pay attention to how that pits you against others, how it makes people who aren't our enemies actual enemies because we're vying for the same resources or the same things. This happens all over the world. There are a lot of great churches that are meeting right now in Marietta, and there is a temptation in me to see them as adversaries instead of blessings. Amazing things happening. The gospel's being preached in all these big churches all over our town, all over our community. And the enemy would want to pit us against each other and say, well, we believe this and that's better than what you believe. Well, we don't have as many wheelchairs coming in. We, we, don't, we don't sing the hymns from way back then. We don't do it that way. And so our way is better. And, and it just pits us against each other rather than pulling us together. Next is fear hides itself in wisdom. It pretends to be wise when ultimately it actually is fear. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Um, that word fear is not a retributive fear. Um, that word fear is rooted in two words. The words are reverence and trust. So fear of the Lord is not I'm afraid of the consequences of what's going to happen to me when God zaps me. It is I trust, I'm afraid of what's going to happen if I don't do what he asked me to do because his way is better than my way. Does that make sense? It's fear actually of ourselves. It's fear that I, I'm afraid that if I don't trust him, I'm going to mess everything up. If I don't walk in his ways and I walk in my ways, then everything's going to get jacked up. It's this reverence. It's this great reverence of, how, of who God is and what he says. So when God speaks, I trust him because I don't trust myself. Our fear of the Lord is actually rooted in a deeper fear, which is the fear of what happens if we don't trust him. 
It's believing he has the best in his heart and in his mind for us, and so I go his way and do what he asks. It's this deep reverence and respect for his word, both his spoken word and his whispered word. It's a deep reverence and respect to his commands and his laws. It's a deep reverence and respect to the fact that I can trust him more than I can trust myself. Fear pulls like a film over our eyes that stops us from seeing clearly. It puts us in a haze of confusion, and we can sell our fear as wisdom. I could have moved out of our house in Louisville very easily, and no one would have objected to it. Somebody broke into our house. There's a brothel next door. We found a dead body here. Homeless guy keeps peeing. There's not a Christian group in the world that wouldn't say, yeah, that sounds wise to move. But I'm not seeking the wisdom of man. I'm seeking the wisdom of the kingdom. So we stayed. Uh, long story short, and a quick short story here, the guy that ran the brothel came to know Jesus. I baptized him at our church. Brothel closed. Homeless guy prayed with me four times a week, over and over again. It was a little incoherent, but he prayed with me all the time. God started showing up in our neighborhood. My wife knew the name of every homeless man in our community. They would walk by her and give her hugs everywhere we went. The kingdom of God started to show up in the midst of our fear. We can disguise fear as wisdom and run. Or we can stay when the kingdom says, I want you to trust me over your own instincts. I want you to trust me for your protection. We, we believe that God is our protector and our provider to a limit, right? God is our protector and our provider, but I also need to do this just in case. God's my protector and my provider, but I also need to keep this amount of money back here just in case. I also need to keep a, a gun in my nightstand right here, because what if? I also need to, like, we've got all of these different things that we stir up in our minds that is actually rooted in fear that we disguise as wisdom that says, I've got to do all of these things instead of simply trusting that God is good, that he's my protector, that he's going to take care of us, that he's going to be with us. Fear is the beginning of wisdom. Fear can lead us down a, a stage of wisdom, right? Don't touch the oven. That's good wisdom. But fear is not the ultimate say on anything that we step into. God is the ultimate voice in every area. So who is your protector? You or God? Who is your provider? You or God? Who is your deliverer? You or God? Who fights for you? You or God? One of the greatest things I've learned as a pastor is that the Lord fights for me. There, I, I just, I, it, it doesn't happen here ever, but in other places I hear stories of pastors who things get said about them that are unfair or untrue. And you know what I used to do? When I was in my 20s, I wanted to always fight that. I'm a little feisty. And so I wanted to fight that and set the record straight. And I want to tell everybody, that's not true. Like, that's not, that's not what happened. You, I don't even know where you got that. Like, that's weird. I, I, I want to set the record straight on everything. And what I've learned the older I get is I don't have to speak up for myself. I don't have to defend myself. I don't have to say a word because the Lord will fight for me. 
He holds the hands of the righteous in the air and he takes care of us. Exodus 14, 14. There are very few passages that sit on a wall in my house, but this is one of them. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Because fear teaches us to work and not be still, right? Fear teaches us to run and be busy and strive and go and do all of these things. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. God says, no, 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 no. I will fight your battles. Just be still. Just be still and trust me. You want to start to discern whether you're trusting the Lord or trusting fear? How often do you have to speak up for yourself and defend yourself? Or how often do you say, you know what, Lord? You set the record straight. I trust you. You're good. Our desire to get in the last word is always rooted in fear. In our arguments with one another, you guys, you guys uh, maybe some of you know a spouse that wants to get the last word in sometimes. Mine doesn't, but I do. I want to get the last word in all the time. And the Lord teaches me patiently, quietly, I'll fight for you. You don't have to get the last word in. Two more real quick things. These are, these are just bonus ones. Can I give you some bonus fear ones? I didn't have time to preach on all of these, but I want to give you two bonus ones that you guys can do some exploring on because I think scripture is really clear on this. Fear reveals that we trust ourselves more than we trust God. Fear causes us to write a story about others before we actually know who they are. More, more kind of consequences of fear. All right, I got six minutes to talk about love. Um, love overcomes fear. Here's the first thing that love does. Love actually overcomes fear. First John 4:18 says, "There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment, and the one who fears is not made perfect in love." The cure for fear is profound compassion for ourselves and others and profound trust in God as being good. We want to know how we overcome fear. We show compassion beginning with ourselves. Compassion starts with showing compassion to yourself. I meet with so many people who say, I should have, or I wish I would have, or I, they, they kind of make stories about where they're blaming themselves and shaming themselves for where they are. And the truth is, we are where we are, and God meets us in reality. God is good exactly where you are. Now, he's calling you to the kingdom, Right? but he will meet you where you are. And so we don't have to live in a world of shoulds or coulds or I wish I would have. We don't have to keep going back to our past and feeling the shame and guilt of that moment or that pain or that sin or that relationship that was broken or that thing that we did wrong because inside of Christ is forgiveness. Everything is wiped clean and we start over. And so our fear tells us that we're wrong and our collective fears makes us incapable of loving one another and seeing each other as image bearers of Christ. But when we begin to see ourselves as image bearers of Christ, when I begin to view myself as a son of the most high God, then it's, more, it's easier for me to view others in the same lens. Sometimes we need to start figuring out where we start showing grace and sometimes the best place to start is with ourselves. And as I begin to see myself as an image bearer of the Most High God, 
As I begin to see myself created in his image, as I begin to see myself made like him, as I begin to see myself as his son, his ambassador, who's been given the gifts of the kingdom and has the keys to the kingdom, the authority of heaven in his hands, then it's easier for me to view others in the same lens. Love teaches us compassion. Love always multiplies and reproduces reproduces and it teaches us that we're always plugged into a source where there is unlimited love there are oceans of love available to us i said this last week but love is not some sentimental love song guys it's not just some sentimental thing that we do it's not a feeling love is powerful i i want us to believe that that there is power in love that love can overthrow structures, that love can overthrow systems, that love can change cultures, it can change communities, it can change families, it can change workplaces. Love always multiplies and love always connects us to a source that is a deeper well than we could ever imagine, full of love and abundance over and over and over again. The second thing that love does is it teaches us to trust. If you love someone, you trust them, right? My kids trust me as their father. We have never gotten in the car and the kids instantly start freaking out about where we're going because we're gonna get lost. Because we've been driving in our cars for a long time, we get in the minivan all the time and we don't get lost or stranded. My kids are not freaking out about there not being dinner and, and they're teenagers and they eat enormous amount. My, my boys eat seven boxes of cereal a week. I, like they eat so much, but they always know that there's no fear, that there's going to be food, that dinner's gonna be there, that, that something's gonna happen. They have learned to trust me. And so over and over again, especially as my kids get older, because when your kids are young, you can just use the daddy voice and be like, knock it off. Why? Because I said so. But when they get some kind of reasoning in their head, they're like, that's not enough. And I'm constantly telling my older boys, I know, you don't know, I know you don't see this, but I need you to trust me. Like, I know you don't see the dangers in this, but I need you to trust me. I know you think this is a stupid rule, but I need you to trust me. Because I'm not just sitting here creating arbitrary rules because I like to be the rule police. I actually love you, and I want to take care of you. And I want to teach you. Love always teaches us to trust. It's the same thing with the Father in heaven. It teaches us to trust him. That he's not just laying out arbitrary commands and trying to ruin our fun and ruin our joy. He actually has a plan for our lives and actually understands the best way for us to be human. He modeled it in Jesus. Jesus is the picture of humanity. And he showed us how to live fully human and how to be fully alive. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. And then what will happen? He will make straight your paths. The pattern for life is we trust him because we love him. Obedience is always tied to love. We trust him because we love him. We surrender our lives to him and we follow the path that he lays out before us. This is the picture of scripture from the beginning of time. The Old Testament narrative is all about teaching us to trust God. When God sends us to the wilderness and we don't know, know why, we trust him. When he says, I wanna send you to a land that I've chosen for you, we don't have to figure out the full plan, we trust him. When he says, I'm gonna send manna from heaven, we trust him over and over again. The Old Testament is this narrative of learning to trust God. 
Then Jesus shows up and he models this way of what it looks like, what a human being, how a human being fully submitted and surrendering to trusting God looks like. He lives the perfect life that we couldn't live because he perfectly trusts God when we don't. And he shows us the model of always following where God leads, always trusting him. The the gospel of Luke is full of this, this one phrase, Jesus led by the Spirit, dot, dot, dot goes into the wilderness. Jesus, led by the Spirit, goes. All of these pictures of Jesus being led by the Spirit, and every single moment we see Jesus being led by the Spirit, the reason he's led by the Spirit is because he trusts God. And then the Holy Spirit comes, who is our helper, and the Holy Spirit becomes the voice in our life that teaches us to trust him. Love always teaches us to trust. And the last thing is that love reminds us who we are and where we belong. Love will always remind you who you are and where you belong. It will teach you what's true. Galatians 4, 7 says, we are no longer slaves living under the law, but we enjoy being God's very own sons and daughters. And because we're his, we can access everything our father has, for we are heirs of God through Jesus the Messiah. Love roots us in our identity in Christ. It teaches us who we really are, and it's infinite. We can't use it up, but we can be blind to its presence. Our fears will always limit us, and love will always expand us. Our fears will always say slow down, and love will always say go. Our fears will always say be careful, and love will say trust. Here's the reality of fear for many of us. Many of us have been hurt in some way or another. And what we've done is we've closed ourselves off to feeling again. We've just said, this fear, which disguises itself as wisdom, says, I'm not going to put myself out there. I'm not going to put myself out there again because I'm afraid I'm going to be hurt. Whether that's a friendship or a relationship or in any different way, I've been hurt so deeply, I've been wounded so strongly that I'm just going to lock my feelings inside and I'm not ever going to risk being hurt again. The problem with that logic is when you risk not being hurt again, when you close yourself off to everything, you also limit the ability you have in your life to experience love. Here's the truth. Love is risky, guys. If you're going to love, you're going to get hurt. Like, I love my family more than I love anything else in the world, and they hurt me more deeply than anybody else in the world. Love is tied to hurt in so many different ways, because if we don't risk loving, we're going to never experience any kind of hurting. And so we run from hurt, and we're so pain-averse that every time we get hurt, we're, we just close ourselves off, and we run from it, and we never put ourselves out there. We never speak the truth. We never say the words that need to be said. And Jesus is constantly saying, no, 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 no. There's more. So bring what you have, and love, and risk, and be extravagant. I want to challenge people in the room to make the phone call that you've been not wanting to make that says, I forgive you. It might hurt, but it's love. I wanna challenge you in the room to have the conversation you've been dreading having because you're afraid of how it's gonna turn out. 
I want to challenge all of us to step into our role as ambassadors and as son, as daughters. Fear always destroys while love builds. Fear exposes while love covers. Fear screams while love whispers. Fear attacks while love protects. Fear doubts while love believes. Fear judges while love accepts. Fear wounds when love heals. And in our world right now, fear is hurting. Are you with me? Every day, all over the place, Fear is hurting our relationships with one another and our relationships with God. And the only answer I know to our problem with fear, which is our problem with sin, I'm just going to name it. Can we just name it that? Is the love of God. The only solution to a world where we hate our enemies where we tell stories about everyone around us, where we make assumptions, where we believe the worst, is to surrender ourselves to the love of God. So today, as we wrap up, we're gonna come to the table and take communion. We do it every week, and we just take the bread, which represents the body of Christ that was broken for us, and the juice, which represents the blood that was shed for us, and we remember that Christ, while we were still his enemies, died for us. That Christ is the ultimate picture of enemy love. That Christ in the garden of Gethsemane said, not my will, but your will. I'm afraid. There was fear in Jesus when he went to the cross. He did not want to experience the cup that God asked him to live into. And there are going to be moments in every single one of our lives where we do not want to experience the cup that God has given us, where we don't want to experience the pain of the world, where we're afraid to step into the places that he's called us. But Jesus teaches us the model that when God says go, we up recklessly, we, we leave everything behind, we run full speed to the places that he's going because we love him and because we trust him. I believe, church, that love can overcome fear. I believe that the word of God says unequivocally over and over and over again, there is a better life than a life of fear. And I believe that the spirit of God can heal our broken world. I believe that God can heal our structures where the poor are kept poor and oppressed. I believe that God can heal racism in our community. I believe that God can break through the wounds of our individual lives that feel like they're inescapable, feel like we can't be rescued from them. I believe that he can heal. And I believe that he can heal a relationship between you and the person that you believe is your greatest enemy because he's good and because he modeled the way. And so if you want to pray today with somebody, if you want to just kind of come and just say, hey, I, I don't know, but I think I'm overwhelmed with fear right now. I'm overwhelmed with worry and anxiety and I just need to surrender it to the Lord. I really believe that Kayla's word this morning of freedom is available this morning for us, but it's going to come at a cost. You're going to have to give something up. And there's many of you who are carrying unforgiveness. You're carrying enemy hatred. You're carrying fear. And it is a weight, like a backpack full of rocks that is just weighing you down every day of your life. And you think you're hurting somebody else, but the only person you're actually hurting is yourself. And I believe that today freedom is available. 
I believe today the beauty of God is available to you. His presence, his trust, his goodness, and his healing is available to you. So I'm going to ask the prayer team to kind of come up front and just gather kind of here along the walls and up front. And as you come and take communion, if you want to pray, come and grab one of those folks and let's pray together and let's talk through some of this stuff. And for the rest of us, let's just go quietly and thank Jesus that he loved us when we were still his enemies. So Father, we thank you that you're good, that you're full of mercy, that you're beautiful beyond description that your way is better than our ways. And so I pray that you would teach us to trust you over our fear. I pray that we would become known as a congregation that is fearless, that is not afraid to step out into the uncomfortable places where you've called us, that's not afraid to live the life that you've invited us to live, but steps into this world graciously and lovingly with reckless abandon, trusting you. So heal our hearts today, Lord. Show us a better way to love and serve you and teach us to follow you into love. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
you guys stand with me for a minute? We've got a really fun afternoon planned. I, I hear that there are a bunch of water slides for the kids and for some adults, I think, uh, that are out there. Uh, I don't know what else is going on today. I think there's some food trucks out there, um, but we would love to invite you to hang out, uh, get to know some folks from our church. It's a great way for you to build some relationships. I know our men went rafting yesterday and had an amazing time, I heard. I see some sunburns. Uh, out there, uh, but we're constantly trying to connect one another because love is rooted in relationship. Uh, and so one of the greatest ways we know to love one another is just to be with one another. Uh, I don't know that we get to know each other when we just sit in rows like this, but when we eat a meal together, when we get in a raft in a river together, when we watch our kids cry on water slides. We, we get to know each other in a deeper way and a deeper place. And so we're committed to be in a place where we actually know each other, where real conversations can happen. And so we want to invite you. And I, I want to just wrap up. I want our benediction today to just be 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's, it's known as the love chapter, but for some reason, the only time we ever read it is at weddings. Um, can I just say this passage has more applications than your marriage. <laughs> that this passage is bigger than just a wedding ceremony. I'm all for doing this in marriage too, by the way. But uh, this, is, this is a huge, huge revelation of who God wants us to be. So if you would just close your eyes, if you'd reach out your hands just to receive this as a word from the Lord to you today. And just try and discern, is there something specific that the Lord wants me to hear in this passage? right now. It says, for if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic power and understand all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have faith so that I can remove mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. For love is patient and it's kind. It does not envy or does not boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes in all things, endures in all things, for love never ends. And the people of God said, amen. Have a great week, guys. We love you.